Hello everyone, I hope you are well. I'm Carlos Carnicero Uravallen and I want to welcome you all to Future is Blue, a series of podcasts bringing together top experts from academia and think tanks to discuss the most pressing European economic and policy challenges of today. This is a Funkas Europe initiative and we hope we can bring new ideas for a more inspiring debate about Europe. Today, we're back to cover sanctions, perhaps the word that's been pronounced the most in the EU political corridors over the last few weeks. The amount and the scale of sanctions approved in record time by the EU, the UK and the US, among other players, against Russia are unprecedented. Yet sadly, the war in Ukraine seems far to be over. There's now a debate on whether sanctions should be expanded to touch on key sectors such as oil and gas, and questions are being asked on, where, on what is Russia's capacity to retaliate with its own economic measures targeting the West. Some are even asking whether sanctions are really working. After all, they haven't changed Russia's behavior. To discuss these hot topics, I am joined today by Zach Meyers, Senior Research Fellow at the Center for European reform. Welcome, Zach. Hi, it's great to be here. You're welcome. And let me welcome as well also Raymond Torres, Funkas Europe Director. Hello, Raymond. Hello, nice to join this conversation. So let's get started. Uh, Zach, you recently published a very timely paper with the title The West Needs a Sanctions Strategy. So until now, we've had a remarkable amount of sanctions and other measures approved in record time. But you seem to claim in your paper that a truly strategic approach was missing. So moving ahead, what are the key ingredients that the EU and its allies need to take into account to implement a sanctions strategy? Sure. Well, firstly, I think everyone's been impressed at the strength of well, European, but Western unity in general, um, and with the scale and speed with which sanctions have been implemented. One of the issues we explore in the paper is about how these sanctions are really intending to coerce Russia into changing course. But if you look at the history of sanctions, you can see that generally they're quite ineffective at forcing countries to change policies that they're hell-bent on pursuing. And so one of, the, um, one of the suggestions that we have is that in future, Europe needs to be able to act more quickly. And so Europe was obviously fast to act once um, Russian helmets had entered Ukraine. But if they had acted sooner to send a signal about how serious the response uh, was going to be, then that might have been more successful at persuading Russia or dissuading Russia from going in in the first place, or at least from the invasion being um, across the whole of Ukraine. So, so we think a, a critical aspect of a sanction strategy is that it should try to signal um, rather than coerce. Uh, another important aspect is that sanctions, um, and this is where Western sanctions need to head in, in my view in respect of Russia, towards long-term constrainment of, um, of Russia's capabilities. So I think it's unrealistic to expect Russia to change course in the short term. 
um, at least absent any kind of catastrophic military failure. But so, so what we will need is uh, sanctions such as the ones that are in place to prevent exports of military and technological equipment that will really prevent Russia from having the capacity to do what it's doing in Ukraine to other countries in the future. And it's important that we're clear that that's what constraining sanctions are meant to do, because in the long term, businesses are going to get bored with sanctions and so will the press and can resent the fact that their economic opportunities are being constrained for something that doesn't look like it's having any obvious and immediate impact. Um, I think a final aspect of a sanction strategy has to be about communicating effectively about what sanctions are intended to do. And in particular, I think it's important that the West is completely clear that there is a, a way back for Russia and that it's not the Russian people that are being um, sanctioned or, or punished, but it's um, Putin and, um, and the elites that surround him. And so I, I think the emphasis that's being placed on targeted measures against individuals is really important. And of course, many Russian people are not going to be able to hear what the West has to say, but I, I still think it's important that the West continues to say it for those who can listen. Thank you, Zach. You touched on quite a number of, of things. Uh, so let me let me ask Raymond a, a first comment on what is missing in the EU's uh, strategy on, on how the EU is using sanctions against Russia. Yes, well, I think the, the, the first thing I would like to say is that I very much agree that the sanction strategy is needed but within that strategy, which I understand is more of a preemptive tool uh, to having, having a strategy, obviously one element, uh, which Zach has not mentioned, but it's obvious, is uh, to avoid excessive dependence on strategic uh, um, inputs vis-a-vis uh, -vis particular countries. I think that um, has obviously turned out to be, uh, retrospectively, you, you could say, you know, a mistake uh, from the point of view of uh, the EU, in general, at least some EU countries, and this is something which vis-à-vis uh, -vis the future um, needs to be avoided because I, I think whatever the sanction strategy, uh, this is a major constraint on mobilizing all possible sanctions. So I would say that's that's a, that's a very important consideration that we need to take into account vis-à-vis, uh, -vis, you know, having having a, a strategy. The other uh, element uh, which I think is important. It has to do with uh, refining the tools vis-à-vis -vis sanctioning individuals uh, as opposed to entire countries. So the present strategy is very much focused. I mean, in, there are sanctions against so-called oligarchs, but really, uh, the, from what we know, uh, the main, the thrust of the strategy is really to, um, you know, make life of ordinary Russians more difficult because of the kind of uh, internal default, which has been organized, the, the freeze of um, the uh, external reserves of Russia, um, you know, banning uh, a number of Russian banks from the SWIFT payment system, and so on and so forth. Uh, and this is going to make the life of uh, Russian enterprises and Russian ordinary people much more difficult. But in, uh, indeed, having more more refined tools of identifying the individuals themselves who hold assets in other countries, and therefore this could be much more, in a way, a target, a much more, it would allow much more targeted sanctioning approach. We know from history as well that uh, sanctions which are across the board and affect entire countries 
sometimes are not even effective. They, they, they may even turn those countries in favor of the regimes in place. We have examples in the history, whereas more targeted approaches might be uh, more, more effective. So I, I would say that that is, you know, looking, looking to the future would be much more useful. Thank you, Raymond. I, I need to ask you both about um, about um, expanding sanctions to the area of energy, because this, this is a question pretty much in everyone's mind since day one. And I wonder whether this would really, really make a difference, because Zach, you said first that uh, sanctions should be focused more on the long term. And I think up to what I mean, maybe it's it's naive to think that we can really change the course of the war with, with, with sanctions. But some are claimed that, that this would be, in fact, possible if, if the EU really uh, it starts uh, bringing into the mix the, the energy aspect. And, 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 and I think uh, the, the oil uh, embargo is on the agenda. Um, I don't know if this is going to happen. I don't know if the EU is ready to, to absorb the cost I don't even th maybe I mean I think in your paper you say that some of these measures can be counterproductive in the in the short term as as maybe if the the price of oil in the international markets goes up maybe this would benefit Russia in the short term so I don't think this is easy to fix but I wanted your reaction on on whether it's realistic to think that the EU as the UK and the US have done but I know their situation is different because they are not as exposed as the EU but whether this would make a difference, whether this is realistic, what are your thoughts on that? Sure. I think there's a huge debate amongst economists, especially in Germany, um, about how realistic it is. But I don't think any economist would say anything other than that it would be extremely expensive and cause a lot of hardship for Europeans, um, particularly in countries that are most reliant on Russian gas um, and, and oil. So I, I would be very concerned that uh, going too strong and too fast in cutting off energy supplies could create a large degree of resentment amongst European households about sanctions and making them less sustainable in the long run. I mean, as, um, as Raymond said, we shouldn't have been in this situation in the first place. It's clear that many European politicians were seriously naive um, about how um, aggressive Putin would be and were happy to keep um, reliance on, on Russian gas because it was the cheapest option. Um, really, when, when that has led Europe to be geopolitically extremely vulnerable and has also kind of delayed the, the green revolution that we need to see. So, I, I mean, I, I very much agree with what Raymond said that we shouldn't have been in um, this position in the first place, but um, we are where we are, and I, and I think that going in too aggressively and cutting off um, Russian energy supplies could, could backfire. Clearly, we need to do it as quickly as we can, but um, you know, some of the proposals, uh, you know, they would cause enormous hardship, and, and I think that would be um, that would raise some questions about whether the sanctions are sustainable. Raymond, you 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 were arguing for. Um for the need of a more targeted approach. So I guess you, you don't favor this idea of bringing energy into the sanctions mix. But what is your reaction to, to this? Yes, I mean, uh, clearly this, this is a very difficult issue. And I mean, there's no, uh, obviously no clear cut uh, answer to this because there are always pros and cons. And certainly, I mean, we are talking about uh, 
choosing between different uh, different bad solutions in a way. Uh, but I, I agree with Zach that, um, and also it's my own logic that this is not really targeted in a way that, uh, uh, first of all, it, it would it would um, impose uh, a burden, an, an additional burden on the entire Russian population and whatever little, I mean, even if there are less exports of gas and oil from Russia, uh, the revenues of those exports of gas and and oil would be used for to continue with the uh, the war. I mean, to, to continue to finance the war. So, uh, but in addition to that, there's another element, which is that Russia can, at least in terms of oil, divert the exports uh, which have been made so far to Europe uh, to other destinations. And even in terms of uh, gas, it's and that I don't know, but it's well possible that. Uh, Russia has the ability to liquefy uh, much more gas and, in a way, export the gas to other destinations if the route going through Europe is closed entirely. So there may be a, a substitution effect to other destinations, not least uh, China. So even if there is no short-term solution to convey that gas that goes to Europe now through a gasoduct to uh, to pipeline through through a pipeline to uh, Russia, but it could be liquefied and therefore exported elsewhere. So obviously it would have a negative effect uh, uh, this additional sanction, but it would not be an entire uh, sanction vis-a-vis -vis the the what the revenues are what revenues are now obtained by uh, the Putin regime in order to fund the, the war. So I'm not sure this is uh this will be in any case uh, the, the the right you know the, the final solution to uh enable uh, a faster resolution to this conflict and not to mention the role of china in all this which is another very important matter so uh, so another idea that is on the on the agenda is to uh, expand the number of banks in russia that have been excluded from swift uh, did you see both this as a, as a, as a more uh, targeted approach and uh, as a good idea, in fact, in, in case there is need to increase the pressure on, on Russia? Zach, what is, your, what is your comment on this topic? Sure. I mean, I think the, the banks that Europe agreed to get excluded from SWIFT in the first place, I, I think it's only, they're quite small in number, maybe six or seven and they were chosen specifically because they weren't especially involved in kind of strategically important trade between Europe and Russia. So I think most commentators don't think that the SWIFT sanctions are especially meaningful, um, although, of course, it was responsive to there being a huge degree of public pressure on European politicians to, to do something about it and to, um, and to ensure that, that at least some banks were excluded. Um, so, so I guess that means that it's hard to see how additional banks could be excluded from SWIFT without having some impact on Russian-European trade. But, I mean, economies adapt to sanctions, and so whichever banks, additional banks are excluded, you can certainly see that you're simply creating, um, you know, you're still leaving open other routes and other banks can step in and... Um, and take on that trade. So um, you will be creating disruption for Russia in the short term. But I think it goes back to that question as to whether you really expect to see um, kind of a short-term policy shift from Russia or not. Because if you don't um, and you think that a long-term strategy is needed, then I don't know that adding more and more banks to the SWIFT exclusion will make too much of a difference. 
Raimond, do you do you agree with that? It wouldn't make too much of a difference to include a few more banks. Well, this is connected also to the the question of uh, a ban on the exports of uh, of gas to Europe, uh, because the the you know probably one of the reasons why the entire banking system is not excluded from SWIFT is that some banks are used to operate uh, the payment of the gas and oil. So and, and so it's very much related to that. Uh, and so I would add to the arguments already presented by, by Zach. I, I also think that, uh, I mean, I want to emphasize one point, which is that the, the present sanctions do have an impact. I mean, I, 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 from this conversation, I want to make clear that uh, we're not, we're not uh, you know, underestimating the negative impact it has, at least on the Russian economy, with uh, likely, you know, we see lots of, inf uh, you know, high inflation here in Europe, but it's nothing in comparison to Russia, which can have inflation the other 20%, you know, with bank runs, inability to, you know, uh, change rules for, for hard currency, for, for dollars and euros and uh, a freeze on external reserves. So I think this is quite significant. But I think maybe uh, it's important to complete the picture of sanctions to engage in a dialogue with China. Obviously, we're talking about, um, a, you know, the rivalry between China and the United States. And so, but at least to, you know, show vis-a-vis -vis China in a dialogue with China that uh, um, if, if China tries to, um, in a way, offset uh, the present sanctions uh, too much, then in a way it, it can be itself exposed to you know uh, negative effects, negative economic effects in terms of the disengagement of some uh, U.S. or European enterprises in China, or um, you know uh, weaker links between China and the rest of the world. And China, after all, really wants to be engaged with the rest of the world. Has been one of the uh, engines of its prosperity. So I think rather to complete the, the, the sanctions picture, I would say engaging with China will be very important. Zach, I'd love to hear your reaction on what Raymond is saying, because I think it's interesting to think that China may consider to aid its uh, Russian ally, but it may it needs to consider also whether this is worth it or not, considering the, the possible retaliation from the US and its allies. So what is your reaction to that? Um, in terms of China, I think that we've seen uh, a, a bit of equivalence from China. I feel like they're not quite sure which way to turn. Um, when the Western firms have left Russia, they've been quite loud and vocal about the fact that they were doing it. Um, and Chinese firms have not been quite as loud, but people who are following trade flows have seen that actually a lot of Chinese firms have stopped exporting to Russia in anywhere near the, um, to anywhere near the degree that they were prior to the invasion. Chinese banks haven't been as willing to provide liquidity support for Russian banks. You know, there's, there's certainly a degree of hesitation, um, at least within industry in China. Um, and then from the political leadership, I think um, there's a lot of speculation that Chinese leadership is kind of disappointed and quite uncomfortable with the current situation. Um, as Raymond said, you know, China's been doing very well from having a degree of interconnectedness with the rest of the world. And uh, the way that Russia has disrupted that is probably not welcome, even if China feels like it does have to stand up and 
support its ally, or at least not um, uh, not condemn it too loudly. So, so I think it's kind of yet to be seen how China will react and whether they will support um, uh, support Russia either militarily or um, economically. Um, and also, if the US has to sanction Chinese banks and um, and industries, I think that the potential repercussions for the global economy and for the West could potentially be much greater than um, for sanctioning Russian banks, purely because of how better integrated China is with the global economy. So I think the the consequences and potential um, uh, side effects could be a lot greater. So it would be a much more difficult question for the West. But I, so I think it's incredibly complicated and. Um, it would be much easier for Western governments if China decides to, to back away and to, um, and to not support Russia. Okay, so we are, we're running out of time, but uh, before we close, I'd like to ask you both about whether uh, Russia has any capacity to retaliate economically, because we've, we've been focusing on, on the, what, what the West is actually doing and, and the costs and the effects of those actions, but we didn't cover whether Russia can retaliate economically and impose its own sanctions. I mean, one of the options they could, uh, of course, consider is to to um, to take the initiative on the area of, of gas and, and oil, which hasn't hasn't happened yet. But I wonder whether there are other options that they could consider and what would be the impact on the on the um, EU's economy. Uh, Zach, what is your what is your take on that? Uh, well, I think you're right that Europe needs to be ready for the risk that Russia will cut off uh, energy supplies without notice. I don't think that's especially likely given it's kind of the only sector where Russia is getting uh, kind of hard foreign currency at the moment. And also Putin has always been insistent that Russia is under any circumstances going to be a reliable um, business partner. And a, a lot of the energy is supplied under long-term contracts. So Russia's been much happier to cut off supplies to the spot market, which aren't under long-term contracts. But I, but I think it would be a, a, a huge step to uh, to cut off long-term contractual supplies. Um, and I think that would be kind of unequivocally bad for Russia in the long term, because Europe is only going one way, which is towards green energy and away from fossil fuels. And if Russia does anything to speed up that transition, um, you know, there's kind of no going back to uh, to buying up supplies from from Russia again once green investments have been made in Europe. So I, I think it's very much in um, in Russia's interest to keep supplying um, fossil fuel energy for as long as possible. Uh, there are certainly other areas, and so there are a lot of kind of niche areas like um, rare earth metals and um, and gases, which are uh, Kind of not very uh, well known, but are essential parts of supply chains in the West. Things like neon, palladium, scandium, nickel, um, for example, are all essential to semiconductor supply chains. And in some of those cases, Russia and Ukraine are the world's largest suppliers by some way. And so, um, you know, you could see Russia withholding supplies of, of those types of materials in a way that could make the current um, computer chip crisis worse. Um, I, I don't think that would be anywhere near as catastrophic as 
the types of sanctions that the West has been able to levy onto Russia, but it would certainly cause, um, at the very least, convenience and kind of contribute to to the global economic slowdown. Thank you, Zach. Raymond, any final words on the capacity of Russia to cause disruption, as, as Zach just described? Yes, I would. I would very much agree with that. That it can, I mean, through through the manipulation of. Uh, gas, oil, or these uh, metals, or I also think of palladium, you know, which uh, Russia is a top, um, you know, uh, exporter and has the biggest reserves in the world and this is crucial for also for the green transition. So it can certainly play that, but the, it, it would do, it would damage uh, the, uh, uh, you know, European and US economy, certainly, but I think it would damage its own economy even more. And probably uh, what you see now is probably the maximum that Russia can do at the moment. And so I, I believe that, uh, you know, I, I think uh, it's, it's, it's not, I'm, I'm not sure it can do much more economically to affect the European economies in particular than it presently does. And, and remember that the, the present situation is the best possible in a way uh, of Russia because it, it uh, threatens to interrupt uh, supply of gas, but doesn't do so. But in the meantime, the, the price increases. So it, it gains from the point of view of maintaining the volume of gas and of at a higher price. So at the moment, it, it has maximum gain uh, from this strategy uh, in any case. All right, thank you, Raymond. Thank you, um, thank you both. I think this was very interesting and I'm sure we will come back to this topic, unfortunately. So let me thank Zach Meyers, who is a senior research fellow at the Center for European Reform. Thank you for joining us, Zach. Thanks so much, Carlos. Thanks, Ryan. You're welcome. Raymond Torres, Funca's Europe Director. Thank you for being with us. Okay, thanks. It was a pleasure to join Zach for this conversation. Thank you all for joining. This was all for now. We will come back soon with more exciting speakers on Europe's economic and policy-related key debates. Future is Blue is a Funcas Europe initiative. I'm Carlos Carnicero Ravallen, and if you enjoyed this podcast, feel free to recommend it to others and share it on social media. Thank you all, and stay well.